what makes a good performance marketer is that is the ability to ask those questions to then do a good hypothesis when they're running their campaign. So now we're taking that scientific approach, right? This is the kind of things they tell you in science class. And now we're applying that to marketing. Welcome to Top of Mind, a show where we speak with top marketers, creators, and leaders who are shaping the culture around us. I'm Stuart Hillhouse, and I believe that through great marketing, you can earn the privilege of occupying a tiny sliver of your customer's already overflowing brain. Join me today as we learn what it takes to become top of mind. There's a saying that's popular in tech circles that goes a little like this. Software is eating the world. And you don't have to look very far to see this happening. Tasks that would have otherwise taken a person or a group of people a lot of time to do are now being automated. But what this also means is that we can now measure more about our businesses than ever before. Dashboards showing off metrics that are designed to quantify things that have never been able to be measured before, all in the name of getting a bigger bang for your buck. This has given rise to a new category of marketing, a category known as performance marketing. My guest today is a performance marketing expert who's cut his teeth in the digital media space. He's now the global head of performance marketing and strategic partnerships at Bloomberg. Join me live today. I've got Alex Montas. Thank you so much for having me here. <laughs> hey, no problem. Always great to, to chat with someone who, who knows a lot more about something than I do. I certainly have been told to measure what I'm doing, but I don't think I always do it right. So maybe you can help enlighten me a little bit about how to think about performance marketing and not get totally overwhelmed by, by what metrics to be measuring. So yeah. why, don't we, why don't we start kind of right at the top and you help me to understand how you define performance marketing. Yeah, you know, there are many ways to define it. So I'm actually, I'm going to take a step back and, and tell you like, kind of like how, how people started thinking about performance marketing, right? Uh, you know, you had agencies that, in, you know, back in the days, they were putting your ads and people were clicking on things and people were, you know, going to your page and that's it. That's what they would stop, right? And then there were these other agencies that started kind of like going out there and saying, you know what, I'll pay, you pay me only if you get a sale. I'll pay you, or, or you should pay me only if I get you a lead. So I'm going to pay for performance basis. And, you know, that's kind of like where people started saying, okay, this is performance marketing. At the end of the day, it's not like we weren't measuring marketing before. It was, it was being measured. But the actual thing that you're doing is up much lower down the funnel. Instead of you bidding for, you know, somebody viewing your ad on a CPM basis, now we're saying that not only they're going to go to your ad, they're going to click on the ad, going to go to the landing page, and they're going to, you know, commit to an action, either buying something or, in a lot of cases, if you're B2B, you know, and it's called demand gen, but it's, that's a, a a, a phase of performance marketing or a function of performance marketing. Now, you know, I'm paying on, on a lead per basis. So that's, that's kind of like where it started, right? Like, and, and a lot of people are saying, you know what, performance media, uh, paid media, people that kind of like really are experts on that, 
you know, and are able to get the bottom of the funnel resource results, excuse me, are performance marketers. The way that I see it is though, is that anything that's measurable and you know, in the in the in the marketing world and anything that eventually does lead to some sort of conversion is performance marketing. And sometimes that a lot of the time is through paid media, a lot of the time that is through Facebook, a lot of the time that is through digital. But I think I think that performance marketing approach, you know, bodes very well if you're doing life cycle marketing or if you're thinking about what is the content that converts best. Right. Like, you know, like I, I worked at a few media companies and, and, you know, like for me, like I'm not just putting out an ad, like buy this thing for $1.99 or buy my publication for $300 a year. Sometimes I just put the piece of content that leads directly to a conversion. So my job has been to like measure the content that works best, similar to how B2B people do it. So that's at a high level. That's how I, I, I think about performance marketing. Those are the origins of performance marketing. I, I, I did do a few Google searches before meeting with you today. Wanted to be prepared. But the way that I, that, I, that I think about it is very much into what is it that I can measure that I can actually then have an effect on. Right. So just rewinding a little bit, does that mean that like a, a click would not be considered performance marketing because we want, because the outcome we're looking for is a conversion of some sort, right? And so click is still an outcome, but it's not the right conversion. Is that right? Yeah. So for a lot of performance marketing, that is not the right conversion metrics, right? Because most, most performance marketing, going back to that uh, tradition that we talked about, was trying to get a sale, was trying to get a lead, was trying to get a lower level, you know, bottom of the funnel metrics. But in some cases, there are marketers that really think through, like, what is the best way to get to the cheapest click? So a lot of publishers actually, you know, they, they do click arbitrage where, you know, they sell a certain amount of impressions or a certain amount of visits to an article. And then they are so good getting people to click on the article in a very cheap basis that they're able to sell, let's say, like, branded content campaigns or let's say like you know they they sell you some sort of display ad on their website and they tell you a hundred thousand people are going to click on this but then they're really really good at at figuring out and you're going to pay me let's say a hundred thousand dollars just to make the math easy but then they figure out a way to buy those clicks for twenty five thousand dollars and then they they stay with seventy five thousand for me that is performance marketing because that's the end result but what we don't think of performance marketing is top of the funnel metrics that, you know, that for the most part don't lead to a conversion. And in this case, I should give you an example of something that was performance marketing. And a lot of people don't think about it that way. But if you're a publisher and you have somebody that is able to do this click arbitrage or traffic arbitrage, that's how it's called. Mm-hmm. Now you, you, you're going to hire, you're going to want to hire somebody that calls themselves a performance marketer. As opposed to a brand marketer when you're when you're trying to hire for that role. Let's say you are tell me the name of a big company. Adobe. Let's say you are Adobe and you want a, a piece, you want people to see a review on the latest Adobe Photoshop. So I'm the New York Times, I'm not affiliated with the New York Times, and I'm gonna have Kara Swisher 
you know, write this article and I'm going to tell Adobe, like, if you give me a hundred thousand dollars, I'm going to have a hundred thousand people. So I'm paying a dollar, right? Like I can get a hundred thousand people to watch this piece of content. A hundred thousand people, the New York times, that's a huge brand, right? Um, reading that review, you know, usually the household income there is, is, is a little bit on the high side of things. So Adobe would probably like that. Again, this is just a random example that we're making up. But New York Times doesn't make any money if they don't, if they somehow don't figure out a way to get 100,000 people for less than $100,000. Mm, gotcha. Right? So the arbitrage is if somehow the New York Times finds a way to spend $50,000 to get those hundred thousand people, then they keep fifty thousand, and you know they only spend fifty thousand getting people to click to the site. So, the even though they sold Adobe a dollar, you know, like hundred thousand a dollar per click, they were somehow able to get it at fifty cents per click. Right. right? What are some of those? What are some of those cheaper cheaper methods of getting traffic that wow. that people usually go for? You know, it all depends, right? So I, I think some, some people will tell you, well, if, we, if you're a B2B marketer and you want high quality people and, and you want to say, I only want CEOs reading my thing, I, I can do a LinkedIn campaign. Right. Well, guess what? Now it's going to be 2 to $3 per click, you know, on the low end, actually. Whereas if you have a way of like, you know what, let me make a programmatic buy on CEO.com and then that click cost me 30 cents or 50 cents. And again, I'm, this is just an example. Mm-hmm. That's usually cheaper. So I found it easier to do display ads on targeted, you know, websites. For example, C-Suite or whatever, or, you know, I don't know, shifttechnology.com. I'm making them up, but that, I'm pretty sure there are sites that are called this, something like very close to that. Mm-hmm. that can get me a highly qualified audience back to my site at a much cheaper rate than a LinkedIn or even a Facebook. Facebook nowadays is uh, pretty expensive. Mm-hmm. So not, not to even talk about search. So that, that's at a high level programmatic. It's one of the ways in which people get, you know, like cheaper clicks. You know, sometimes, especially Facebook does very well with content. So you can do, you can get cheaper clicks with Facebook but you're you're gonna lose some of that tracking, some especially when it comes to like jobs or things like the job that the person that you want to click on is doing. Right, so right. again, that's just one example of performance marketing, right? On on the media standpoint, mm-hmm. there are a lot of media places that they run a subscription business, right? Including the New York Times. The New York Times also runs a subscription business, and they have a bunch of performance marketing retargeting you as soon as you read two or three articles with 99 cents for the first three months. And, and their KPI or key performance indicator is how many people signed up, right? So now you have, you do have under the performance marketing lead, you have your traffic arbitrage person, you have your subscriber person, right? That is probably doing, it's usually divided by pay social. And then you have somebody doing pay search, and display and that's how we start kind of thinking about all of those things mm-hmm. however my team you also have somebody doing landing pages right yeah. because i if, if i am affecting the bottom line 
I have to affect many different things, right? So now I'm like, okay, this landing page has a quality of score of like one. We can do other things to make it better, right? And for me, all of that falls, falls excuse me, underperformance, right? Because now I'm doing anything or whatever it is that I need to do in order to, you know, get that sale or get that cheaper click, you know, in a way that's measurable again. In fact, my performance agency at the moment, I'll, I'll say their name, they're probably happy that I mentioned them, you know, Client Boost, they actually, it's very interesting, they provide services of not just, you know, the, you know, paid, uh, the, sorry, the pay social or pay display or pay search, they also do the landing pages because, mm. you know, all of a sudden, all of these things are quite related to each other. Sorry, can you just say the name one more time? It was Client Boost. Client boost. Okay, cool. They um, give a boost to clients. Yeah, nice. <laughs> okay, so that's 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 super awesome to see. Like the the biggest at the biggest scale, massive media corporations. Like anyone who needs that, who's making money off kind of the arbitrage of people's time and attention and clicks. Right. Mm-hmm. Let's let's shrink it to. A, an individual who's got a small business and they've got a very small budget, but there's still stuff you can do here to do those small scale testing to understand how that uh, improves or decreases your performance marketing. How yeah. would what kind of small scale tests would you yeah. would you recommend? Yeah, and, that, and the way I love to go about this is it's like why don't we why don't we have like a, a thought experiment right now? Okay, what kind of business do you think this person is running? Just anything out of the top of your head. Do you want it to be a product or a service? Whatever, whatever you like. Okay, let's say someone is selling coffee mugs with that. Uh... Coffee mugs is perfect. Okay. Right. So I say I sell coffee mugs, and you know, coffee mugs with a mug, right? So maybe like a sad face, something like that. <laughs> oh, let's do coffee mugs and say number one boss, so that we've got like a target who it's going for. Number one boss. That's still a broad target, right? Like mm-hmm. people that want to appease their boss, mm-hmm. but but you know, which is almost everybody. So they can do a few things, right? Right? Like actually, even at a small scale, you know, I found that I can do a TV ad for ten thousand dollars, right? Like very very small scale. It's been a while since I've done it, but I think you know, a few months ago there were there were offers. <laughs> given COVID and everything where you could have ran a TV ad maybe at a regional local basis for $10,000 or right. You could go to somebody like Alex and Alex, you go like, you know what, before you spend this $10,000, why don't we do a small test? And we're going to say that perhaps people that are administrative assistants between 25 and 34 on Facebook, are going to respond to this or you know what people that like mugs you know for whatever reason you know reply to this right and the targeting it's it's you know i'm not going to get into it too much but now i can say i'm going to run a test for 500 dollars and see which of the targeting works best the people that like mugs or the people that somehow have identified themselves as administrative assistants and now all of a sudden with this 500 dollars I'll put 250 on one interest targeting and 250 on the other, you know, more demographic driven targeting and see what works. I run that for two to three days, see which ends up with more sales. 
once I figure that out, and let's say that the administrative person wins out, all of a sudden I have data that I can use to scale. And then if I want to go back and do that TV ad, now I can do it in a smarter way because now I know that the people that respond to this, they respond to a certain kind of messaging, a certain, you know, are part of a certain demographic. And I didn't have to spend my $10,000 to figure that out. I can do it in much, much smaller increments. So going back to, to like what this whole performance marketing is, we know what it is, but the way to go about it that's very different than before is that now you get to experiment and now you get to chip and now you get to like be in the market getting actual responses from people before you commit to like this whole big, like, you know what, I'm going to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars you know, before going out there and doing what some other people may call a brand campaign. So. Right. I really liked how you spoke about kind of proving or disproving who you're, you know, that there are multiple target markets and that's mm. pretty much the same thing for any, any product is there's going to be a couple different categories you can sell to. And so I like how you described actually testing which ones are more likely to convert just based on a really simple $500 test were you sending them to the same landing page? Is that how do you test? How do you set this parameters I like, I like to make that. sure? I like that. I think initially the the first time around you want to send them to the same landing page, right? Because when you're running an experiment, you don't want to change the, too many different variables. Right. And now again, you're getting into the the head of a performance marketer. Like I talked about experiments, and so let me take a step back. My hypothesis is right that the people that would like this, you know, this coffee mug are going to be those two segments that we mentioned, right? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the hypothesis that secretaries versus people, I, I forgot what was the other example, people that like coffee mugs, mm -hmm. right? That is my hypothesis. But if I start testing too many variables, mm -hmm. I don't know what, what was the thing that worked or did not work, right? So now we're taking that scientific approach, right? Like, think about this. This is the kind of things they tell you in science class you know, all through high school or whatever it is. And now we're applying that to marketing because now that we need to add is creative messaging, all of these other things. But now we're saying, okay, I want to reduce my risk of going to market. I don't want to spend a bunch of money. I want to make sure people like this other thing. And, you know, in the past, you didn't have the option to test in such a small way, right? And that's why you had the big houses, the big brand houses. They did this TV campaigns, they did radio ads, they did all of these other things. And they had their own ways of testing. I've worked, I started my career at Mars Chocolate, like at a CPG, and then I understand that, you know, it's not like all or nothing, but never like this, right? Never at that small scale that you can do so nowadays that allows performance marketers to say, you know what, I am very confident that I can get you this result because they are able to run an experiment and iterate until they get the result that makes sense. Yeah, something you said in there really kind of just summarizes the whole thing is you're, you're looking to run a scientific experiment to see which hypothesis is right. There's, mm -hmm. there's no right or wrong answer. It's just the one that's going to be more, it's more helpful. Yeah. But then what you also said is reducing risk, right? Because you're, there's a risk that you're going to make too many assumptions about your target audience that you're going to assume too much about your landing page copy and about the channels and blah, 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 blah. And then you just throw so much money at it and it doesn't work. So 
all we're trying to do here is reduce the risk and disprove as many hypotheses as we can, reasonable amount of certainty that we actually are going to get the performance marketing that we would have hoped for. Exactly. And, and what I say is that if you start the other way around, as it used to be done in the past, you know, it's, it's, it's so much harder to figure out what is the segment of people that are buying and what is the mess and why did it work? Like, you know, like the, the joke, the running joke is, is like, I know marketing is working, but I don't know which half. This, again, this reduces all of that, right? And now we get it down to a science. And don't get me wrong, eventually, if you want to have a big business, right, we, we'll have to spend more money. We have to scale. But now when you do this scaling part, you reduce the risk because you have a, you know, a much big, better idea of who your target customer is, what message they reply, you know, the response to the landing pace that works better for them. Eventually, we can test that. So that's, that's kind of like the mind of a performance you know, marketer works, like really understanding what it is that works and what doesn't before we you know, go ahead and scale. What do you see as the trade-off between uh, brand marketing and performance marketing? So usually, if you're a brand marketer, you are somebody who's thinking a lot more about the messaging you're somebody that's thinking a lot more about the creative. But with that creative, it's, you know, like the bids, right? Like, I, th- I think I talked to you earlier about that example of like, you asked, it's like, where are you going to put it? I'm like, am I going to put it on LinkedIn or I'm going to put it on display? Usually that brand person does not know that. And they're, they're a lot closer to this, like, what is my value proposition? How is my product differentiated? How am I better than my competitors? And, and those things, it's not, those things do affect performance marketing. In fact, like I, I understand that I am a better performance marketer because I know that once I have the targeting down, once I've already scaled, what is going to make my differentiator are all of those things that come from brand. It's my value proposition. It's all of these other things. But again, I'm trying to reduce that risk. Yeah. Of right, and and I do think that the brand people necessarily they they come at it from a different mindset. They don't come from a you know now things are converging now, and as a performance marketing now I'm being asked to test different messages, test different creatives, and see what works. But for the longest, it was like a super genius somewhere in branding land. Right. If you see Mad Men, he had an amazing idea, pitched you with that idea, and then he worked. He worked to. He gave it to the math person, to then put it on TV, put it on whatever, and all of that. So that's the worlds are converging a lot. They do live together, right? Like the best performance marketing works when you have like the best ad that people share organically. And the way that I see it is, it's like you you gotta have creative that escapes whatever medium. So yes, I know that LinkedIn has a $2 CPC or, or programmatic has, you know, much cheaper, let's say 50 cents to a dollar kind of CPC. But the, the minute that they escape, the only way that that escape mechanism is going to happen is if you have really good creative and really good messaging. So that's, that's how I think I'd look at performance marketing. There are times when I get the vaunted one cent CPC, and that's because my creative and my branding and whatever, it's, Speaks so well to the product, or, or you know, people hone in on it so great that you know that it was able to escape, you know, 
the limits of that medium that that originally would put that in. So, so that's the way I see it. They they do closely interact with each other, but usually the person, right? Until very recently, now you have people that are able to combine both. And I've been, you know, like I think I've been blessed that I started out as a brand person who then moved to performance mm. because I can I can then see like, all right this uh, this is kind of how I think and this is how of my, how my brand people think you know but but it, they're very related and based on how you're talking about it and from what I've heard other people say about performance marketing is it does require a deep understanding of the entire funnel of all the operations so that you can actually understand like what you are testing and you're not just trying to kind of make work and get more refined and more refined because you know that actually if this if this creative isn't good you can only get so many clicks on it and things like that. So to understand why you're using that creative or why you're using that copy is also helpful to understand how to get it get it more active. Yeah. yeah. And 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 again like initially, you know, like the really good branding people right are always thinking about who's the target customers right like they they're also theoretically are making those hypotheses themselves they do research right and, and <laughs> back in the days they would they would do some sort of research asking a lot of people how do you feel about this and then they would scale it so so these are this the old this is becoming new again and or, or the new is becoming old but yeah like as a performance marketer if i have a really good understanding of who the competitive the competitors are what the product does and and of course the customer, then that is going to help me make my hypothesis and my targeting a lot better, right? And that's kind of like how you're going to like kind of like work together with brand and performance, you know. And that's again like what makes a good performance marketer is the is the ability to ask those questions to then do a good hypothesis when they're running their campaign, right? Like if they ask all of those things, they have a really good understanding of like, okay, there's this TV ad. What are they saying? Because I'm just only going to have a, one picture on Facebook. It needs to kind of like tie up together, right? Or, of course, in the in the essence of this smaller uh, business, okay, what is so good about these mugs, right? And mm-hmm. and like, how is that creative impactful? Because if I get a bunch of people to share it, you know, that may do something to reduce my cost. Alex, is there a framework or a, a thought process you have when you're creating those hypotheses? So I am very structured. And I start out with like, again, those three C's, customers, competitors, and company, which is i.e. product, right? And if I have those three things, then I think that that gives me a really nice way of start making those, right? This is interest targeting. These are the things. This, this is the audience. This is more or less the messaging that works. But below that, right, after I have my basic strategy, there are kind of tactics that you, you don't have to know, but like that if you, from a, from a, when you come from a performance background, there are tactics that are inherent to each channel. So for example, on Facebook, you care a lot more about lookalikes and interest targeting, right? Whereas and search, right? They're searching for your specific brand. So you, you know, you're caring about something else. So at a high level, I start out with really strong understanding of the three C's, right? Which again, it's kind of like a MBA marketing framework. But then 
as a performance marketer, what you want to tie that up is with your specific targeting or tactics for each platform. In each platform, distribution platform nowadays, whether that is OTT, but let's say mostly digital, which is where performance marketing happens nowadays, has a slightly different way of going about it. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you see uh, performance marketers making? You know, it's, it's really a good question. You know, I think not testing enough, right? I think at, at the beginning, you should test more creative and then more creative, more messaging or audiences you pick, you know, like you, you can test all three, but rather like just doubling down with an idea. You know, they focus so much on the platform part, like, okay, I'm going to let Facebook figure out. And that's cool too, because Facebook can figure out in a lot of locations. And, and honestly, they're really good at it. But you may end up wasting a lot of money, right? And I've seen like, you know, one of the tactics, like some of the Facebook gurus say, it's just like, put this thing without no targeting and let Facebook figure it out. Like, and, and honestly, sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. But when it doesn't, you're hurting. So I, I think it's it's not, you know, not not experimenting enough. It's, I think it's one of the biggest things I see out there. Not having enough appreciation, you know, in regards to messaging or whatnot and just really focusing on like a platform. So like a, a lot of people know, I'm like, all right, I know how to set up a Facebook ad. I know how to set up this thing. But then if you don't care about what's going on in the branding side of the equation, if you don't care about like, all right, is this a good creative and you know, in the first place, you're going to get into issues. So I think it's a combination of those two where you're so silo. And I see that like usually and like either more junior people that, that somehow start out and, you know, never, never really thought about all of those things, but, but there is, there is a method to this matter. That's a, that's a great answer. That's super helpful to kind of understand that there is a certain amount of luck that comes from it like you can just let facebook do it but you you also need to you can do your research to save money if you there's always yeah. enough money to get rid of problems is kind of what the the, the lesson there is well that's, that, that's the thing right like if you show your ad to a million people you know and and assuming a three percent like an average three percent conversion rate right like that's still a lot of people yeah. <laughs> you know that that you get to convert but, but, you know, I've, I've been in situations where, for example, um, not quite performance, but they're related. I paid an influencer for a performance on a performance basis that had 80 million followers. And I got no results out of that. Just mm-hmm. assuming scale. Just assuming scale. But then when I went with the smaller influencer that had around 20,000 followers, that you know but it was more targeted and and it was more of a you know kind of like a hypothesis you know we were able excuse me we were able to figure that out so that's that's kind of some of some of the things that that i've seen happen like i I think really really going to your point to your point really thinking of like okay i have such a big scale i have so much money that we will that we will be able to get through this using brute force shifting gears a little bit we've talked a lot about the actual kind of acquisition side of thing let's talk a little bit about retention though because there is there's a lot to that it it is the lifeblood of your company is Mm -hmm. can we get reoccurring it's expensive to acquire customers your experience in the direct-to-consumer world is 
you need to have growth, but if you want to have kind of sustainability over time, you do need to acquire, you need to retain enough customers that you can bring down your cost of acquisition so that you have, so that you kind of reach sustainability. So I was kind of wondering how you think about the, the performance of retention. Does performance marketing apply to retention as much as it does acquisition? They're very, they're very closely related. You know, usually, if, again, if we go back to that original definition, a lot of performance marketers focus on paid. But if you send the definition to what I said, everything that is measurable, then, then of course, mm-hmm. you got to keep it into consideration. But even then, remember, usually when I acquire a customer, I'm thinking about the long-term value of that customer. And the long-term value of that customer is defined by their churn rate. That is, that if I acquire, you know, and let's say an e-commerce customer that bought a $30 shirt, it costs me $40 to acquire that person. The hope is that once they're acquired, they're going to have two more purchases, you know, and of $30 and now their LTV is 90. So it is okay for me to spend $40. So at the outset on the acquisition from the churn is something that's in the back of my head, right? Because I want to acquire, you know, uh, either at the cheapest rate or, you know, pay a little bit more for people that are going to stay with us and fulfill, you know, our LTV equation, right? And a lot of times that's, that's not the cheapest person to acquire. Most times, actually, it's not the cheapest person to acquire. So at the outset, I'm thinking churn rate right away, right? Like I want to get high quality people that are going to stay with whatever product it is that I'm selling. But after a person has been acquired, there are things that you can do, again, if you span the definition from everything that is measurable, and now you're running those tests on email, now you're, people call this life cycle now, right? But okay, now it's been acquired, now I'm gonna do life cycle marketing. But again, in in my world, I've I've been blessed that I've had some of those people reporting to me as well. Mm. And I take the very same approach that I've I've taken in in the paid space, and then I run those tests and say, like, all right, what are going to keep these people in? What are the emails? What are the push notifications that are, are likelier to them keep these people as, as long-term customers or get them to come back? Because in a sense, you're always reacquiring that. It just so happens that now you have more information. So if you're an e-commerce person, I'm going to send you emails. I'm going to send you this. Or you just bought the one thing. But now because I have your email, I can just send a retargeting campaign once a month with another piece of product that hopefully I can get to reacquire you for $10 the second time. And now you're spending 30, 40, 50. So now, you know, the LTV kind of makes sense. That's an e-commerce and the subscription business, which I'm very familiar from, from being at Verizon and other places is, is the exact same thing. It's just, and usually it turns out that, you know, there's just a longer payback period, right? So the LTV of, of a telecom customer is usually around $3,000. But if you think about like how much, like you yourself, am I, am I given whoever your telecom person $3,000 in the first month? No, it's usually over three years. So again, they're, they're very related because I'm, I'm always looking for that person that is likely to stay with us for three years. And then after they are, you know, I do actually do things either on the life cycle part, but I've also have done paid. I've done paid marketing to retain customers. I've never actually heard of the term life cycle marketing. That's a new one for me, but it makes total sense is now we've got, uh, it makes a lot, it's a lot, technically it's a lot 
easier now to have those reoccurring business models. Maybe there's something psychologically that people enjoy about paying smaller amounts, but more often rather than upfront costs. I know me personally, I actually have started to look for software where I can do a one-time purchase. It's really hard to find them, but like instead of just having to always be paying the monthly just to pay a one-up, I like that kind of business model. I know it's terrible for like a reoccurring business model, but maybe there's a way to kind of do it less... I don't know. I think the subscription models are tricky over time when you've got yeah. a lot well, of subscriptions that you're trying to pay. Well, publishers, you know, if you look at, and again, the media world, if you look at the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, the, w- the way that things happened is that they charge you 99 cents for the first four months. And then let's say it goes up to like $40 a month, you know, after that. But you end up paying out more on a monthly basis. And then, you know, usually what from a subscription business, what you can do is, is like, okay, I am going to incentivize you to actually pay up front by charging you a little bit less. And I know a lot of, you know, SaaS do this, right? Like that is basic pricing one-on-one, right? And if we come back to like, you know, usually gets out of the performance marketing, now is marketing strategy world. Sorry if I'm saying all of these names, right? That's, that's, that's usually one of the things where, where it makes a lot of sense, but not a lot of customers can afford to pay this, for a lot of products kind of like that pricing upfront mm-hmm. kind of situation. Or also, there's no value to, for a lot of products. There's no value to you outside of the one month, right? So that's kind of how you have to decide. Like, if this is something that is something that is real current because from a product standpoint, I am using it on a recurring basis, right? Like when you buy a bike, you could, you know, like, okay, that makes sense, right? So, but but usually a lot of people just, just buy it like upfront, right? Yeah. Whereas for whatever reason, if you think about Netflix, you know, I don't know why, they don't give you an option to say, let's pay this annual thing, you know? And I, and I think it's because for whatever reason, they figure out this, they, they don't even want to bother yeah. Getting that money up front, they just they just want to get that recurring revenue. You're really opening my eyes to the whole marketing landscape. <laughs> There's a lot more to it. Last question, Alex. What what is a part of performance marketing that that to you makes a lot of sense, but you don't see other people talking about as much as you think it should be? You know, it's really interesting because I, you know, going back to, I think through, I, I think through performance marketing from a, from a life cycle standpoint, right? Because I acquire you, that's usually done from a paid place. Once I acquire you, people don't want to pay to talk to you, but I can, right? Like if you're in e-commerce, I can reacquire you much easier now once that I have your email and I have some basic information about who you are. And then after you churn, then I can do one back. What I'm trying to say is that like a lot of people don't think about like how performance marketing is an entire life cycle kind of thing where I can acquire you, I can retain you, and then I can win you back if I lose you. And then understanding that all of those could be, you know, measured, experimented on, and then executed before you scale. You know, we put this whole model together, you know, from the entire life of a customer. So I, th- I think that's something people don't think enough about, but they should. 
Good. Well, thanks for your for your insight. I, I'm sure that after this listening to this conversation, a lot more people will start paying attention to that. And if you want to touch base with Alex and uh, see more of his stuff that he puts out online, you can do so on Twitter at Alex Montas, A-L-E-X-M-O-N-T-A-S, and by the same name on LinkedIn. I really appreciate it, Alex. This has been great. Thanks for blowing my mind a little bit about uh, performance marketing. Awesome. Well, my pleasure. And yeah, I hope that, you know, that both you and your listeners got some value out of this. Awesome. Cheers. If you enjoyed anything that you just heard, you're going to absolutely love what I'm about to tell you. If you go online to stuarthillhouse.com and hit the subscribe button, you'll be added to an email list where I share exclusive content related to this show. This is where I'm going to share my key takeaways from each episode, including my highlights, top of mind takeaways, and next steps that you can do to put this advice to action. I also share some real life breakdowns of marketing campaigns that I'm seeing around and how I'm using it in my work. So head on over to stuarthillhouse.com and hit the subscribe button to get your first email. Looking forward to seeing you there.